Chats from the Blog Cabin. This is your favorite time of the week with your number one one podcast. y'all welcome back to another episode of chats in the blog cabin you know the show where i virtually invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life and today we're chatting about a project that is near and dear to my heart and that has to do with dogs we have two dogs of our own so welcome bob bryant he is the chief technology officer of mission canine um, mission canine rescue i almost forgot the rescue part so bob welcome to the show and tell us a little about yourself before we start talking about mission canine all right well we're actually trying to drop the rescue part of it because we do so much more than rescue so mission canines just fine in fact you can uh find us uh both ways uh what is it you want to know from me right quick tell us a little bit about yourself okay uh i'm 65 years old that makes me ancient but uh <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm one of these guys that's kind of an unusual sport i've trained brazilian jiu-jitsu for the past 12 years i love it it keeps me young uh, my young life, I grew up in Texarkana, Texas, uh, lived in Dallas, and lived in Tyler for a while. And after the organization was founded back in 2013, I made my way out uh, to the West Coast where we have some good support. The rest of the team is in Texas. Uh, I enjoy uh, just about everything outdoors, love to camp. Uh, as I said, I love jujitsu and pretty much anything related to dogs. So what? What made you get involved with Mission K-9? Well, if you'd have told me now, nine years ago, 10 years ago, that I'd be bringing dogs home from all over the world, I would have told you you were patently insane. I was, uh, I w- I'm in sales for a living. I work in merchant services. I provide uh, credit card processing primarily for e-commerce companies. And I was looking for large groups on Facebook that I wanted, that I liked, I liked the work of. And I offered a particular group, which was the predecessor of Mission Canine, to share income from accounts if they would refer me. Well, they did. Uh, they liked what happened. And uh, they asked me to help support the organization. And I went in to do it. And at that time, uh, they really needed to do some advertising, get more donations. But the then executive director didn't understand that you had to spend a little money to get money in to take care of the dogs. And as a result, she wound up having to leave the organization, get a quote unquote real job. And uh, I was asked to co-found it by my partner, uh, Kristen, back in 2012 and didn't think twice about it. Uh, we did, and here we are, uh, however many years later, 2021, uh, quite a while, everything's going great. So let's talk about Mission um, K9. What exactly does it do? Okay. Mission Canine is an organization. We're based in Houston, Texas. We bring military and other contract working dogs home from all around the world. Since uh, 2013, we brought home over a thousand dogs. Uh, over 520 of those dogs have been reunited with former handlers. Uh, we've touched thousands with veterinary care. Uh, we've provided boarding for dogs whose Military members have PCS'd overseas to another duty station. Uh, there's not much we don't do in the realm of working dogs. Oh, I totally understand about the military dogs. Um, you know, the military members of our military, when they're PCS and overseas, it's so expensive for them to bring their dogs 
that they have. Sometimes there's no option but to put them in the pound. Fortunately, we actually have a dog that came from a military member. He was PCS in Japan and he just couldn't bring her. So she ended up part of our family and we would not have imagined our life without her. She wasn't the dog we wanted, but she's definitely the dog we needed in our family because she's the most loving dog ever. She's a 65 pound pit bull mix and she thinks she's a lap dog. Wow. That's a chunk. Yeah, that is a chunk. I mean, she thinks she's just like our 10, 10 year old 10 pound Shih Tzu. She thinks she does everything <laughs> Allie can do. So, so what exactly do you do? You said you help the military, you bring the dogs home. So how, tell us about that process. Let me tell you a little bit about the process. Let's talk about the military side for a while. Well, everybody thinks, oh, the military always brings the dogs home. They come home when they're handler. Unfortunately, that's not true. A military dog can have as many as five handlers in its military working life. And when the dog is retired, the first handler has the first choice, second handler, so forth down the road. People ask me, well, why wouldn't the first handler take their dog? And the answer is there, there's a lot of reasons that can prevent a handler from getting his dog. One, maybe the handler's not through with his military service. He doesn't have the ability or the time to take care of the dog. So in many cases, it could go to a second handler. Uh, another uh, possibility that exists is the handler has extremely small children and we have a dog that's trained for protection, aggression, apprehension. These dogs are toy crazy. And you get a little child in the way of a working dog and a ball and, you know, the dog means no harm to the child, but the dog wants the ball and sometimes the kids tend to get in the way. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that, that's part of it. So military dogs, when they're retired overseas, they're no longer considered military assets. Again, they're considered property, not soldiers, not brothers in arms. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they're ineligible to take military transport. Well, since word has gotten out about what we do, anytime a dog is retiring overseas, we get a call from a call or an email from their handler and tells us about it. Then we work with the uh, overseas kennel master, the kennel staff there to provide transport for the dog. There's only um, two airlines now that will fly large dogs home, and that's Lufthansa and KLM. So we've really been limited in our ability to transfer these dogs. Uh, the military has done the right thing for us in a few situations where they put a few dogs that were being retired on a rotator flight home. We picked them up in San Diego. That was six dogs that came home from Japan back last September. So they're starting to do more to bring them home. But unfortunately, more, uh, I won't say they're stuck overseas. They're never stuck overseas, but they're stuck as long as it takes to get funds to bring them home. Uh, they receive good care. They get vet care, great food. There's no problem with the military's treatment of their dogs overseas in most cases. Uh, contract working dogs are a totally separate uh, situation. Contract working dogs are privately owned dogs. They do the same jobs as the military dogs. They're trained the same. They work in the same situations. However, they don't have the backing, the full faith and trust of the U.S. government. And as a result, when the money gets short, the dogs are the first to suffer. Uh, we've seen contract working dogs get stuck overseas. We've seen them senselessly killed for display when a uh, working uh, when a company contract company ran out of money. They took the handlers' uh, passports. These were foreign handlers. 
They wouldn't let them leave. They euthanized a bunch of dogs and they stuck them in a pile. And at that point, we were about two years into this and we couldn't let this happen again. So we try to make friends. And I'm going to say friends in quotes mm -hmm. with these contractors that don't do the right thing for their dogs to where we convince them that if they let us take the dogs, that they're not going to get a bad rap for letting the dogs stay over there. And as a result, we've been able to, instead of damning them, we've been able to quietly slip in the back door and get the dogs out. Now, most contractors do the right thing by their dogs. Uh, big companies like AM Canine and Vaporweight Technologies, Von Lick Kennels, those dogs always come home. You don't have to worry about those. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, what you do have to worry about is dogs that are contract dogs that are attached to the military. For instance, uh, over in Afghanistan uh, during the drawdown, which was a massive failure, and I'm just going to put it just like it is and how I feel, uh, there were working dogs that were left at the Kabul airport. And unfortunately, I believe that some of these dogs were attached to the military. They were not owned by the military, but they could have been attached to the military. And it's my understanding there's still groups there that are trying to care for them. And we hope that we'll have an opportunity to bring some home. But as the weeks go past, my hopes, uh, unfortunately, grow, grow a little bit dimmer about that. We also uh, receive many dogs uh, from local uh, police and uh, sheriff departments uh, when they retire again many times you've got a canine that is somewhat aggressive you've got a situation with small children they can't take them uh, tsa uh, they will retire some of their dogs with us uh, some of the coolest dogs we've had have come from tsa uh, springer spaniels uh, specifically uh, and uh, german short-haired pointers which you don't normally see in the working dog world but you'll see cruising airports because they're not, quote, scary, unquote. Mm. Because the Belgian Malinois and the German Shepherd are still the predominant uh, working mm -hmm. dogs, and too many people are afraid of them. Which I don't understand that, especially the German Shepherd, because I had a German Shepherd growing up, and she was like the sweetest dog ever. So I just can't understand why people are so, that so many dogs get such a bad rap. Like we were talking uh, about just a minute ago about pit bulls as well. Right. Well, I have a I have a German Shepherd. In fact, I have the first dog that we rescued and only dog so far that came out of Canada, a little city called Longay, which is a um, suburb in the Montreal, Quebec area. Uh, police canine Navy. He's a patrol and drug dog. And unfortunately, he's a he's a German Shepherd. He's a beauty. He's a bicolor, but he's not your sweet German Shepherd. He wants to eat people. So we have to be real careful where we place dogs that are trained for protection simply because one slip can cause a dog to have to be euthanized and create just havoc for families with lawsuits and things like that. The last thing you want is a dog bite. That is so true. Now we need to take a brief commercial break, but we'll get back and I want to talk about how you got the placement of the German Shepherd that you have right now. Okay. Chats from the blog cabin. Subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Chats from the Blog Cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Homeschooling just got easier and deliciously fun. My new book, 
Dishing Up Devotions, 36 Faith-Building Activities for Homeschooling Families is a delightful devotional the whole family will love. With encouragement for mom, fun family activities, conversation starters, and simple baking recipes. It's sure to feed your family's faith while building lasting memories in just minutes a week. And we are back talking with Bob from Mission K9. You mentioned right before the break that you have a German Shepherd that you guys rescued from only first dog you rescued from Canada. Let's talk about your placement and why you decided to take in the dog. All right, I'll tell you exactly. Uh, I was contacted by the uh, canine department up in the city back in. I think we started in November of 2019, and they said they had a dog that had been that had been retired. He had a small little ligament issue. Plus there was a, a problem where the handler had been released from the police department. I don't know the situation at all with that. I haven't asked, it's none of my business. However, because of that, they would not let the canine go with the handler. And unfortunately in Canada, uh, dogs that are trained for protection and um, apprehension are considered dangerous dogs and they would have euthanized him otherwise and these guys didn't want to see that happen they had heard about us they reached out to me and why i took him was that uh, candidly i have the ability the training and the expertise to handle these dogs that are bike trained i know how to keep myself out of trouble even though quite honestly the first week i had him I don't know if you can see that for the name. Yeah. See that lovely little spot right there? That's a that that's a that's a German Shepherd bite. And I'll tell you how I got it in just a second. And I'm an idiot, and this is how you learn. But uh, I was I also we had an older Belgian Malinois contract working dog uh, CWD. That's what by the way we didn't say what CWD standard stands for. It's contract working dog uh, named Anubis. Uh, Anubis, if you recall, is the Egyptian god of the dead that decides if you get in the afterlife or not. Well, this poor pup had been abused by one of these companies that had killed a bunch of these dogs. And he'd been beaten by foreign handlers because when a working dog uh, gets a toy, uh, as a reward and he doesn't release it, there's only three ways to get it out. The best way is you give them a treat and they give out the toy mm -hmm. or you choke them out or you beat them. And unfortunately, the male handlers chose the last two. And this dog was terrified when he came here. Uh, he, We were asked to take him, and we just lost a dog. And I didn't know if we wanted one or not. But we took him, agreed with my partner, and he didn't like... I can honestly say that he didn't want anything to do with me for the entire four years we had him because he was terrified of men. But he bonded like a tick to my wife. And when I knew that he was within five or six months of his ultimate end mm -hmm. i knew that it was better to have a dog than to not have a dog so you can do all these things that you're used to doing and not have this big empty void it just makes the the grief process a little bit easier so i thought about it and determined that we were probably the best home for the dog's name is navy by the way like in the navy mm -hmm. his name was demon they thought that was too rough so they changed yeah. it to navy <laughs> um so back in march of 2020 right before all this wonderful lockdown happened. Uh, I flew to Burlington, Vermont from Southern California. They drove him across the border. 
met with them for a while. They were, it scared them because I walked right up to this crate, opened it, handed him a chicken treat, grabbed him and said, come on, let's go. They were afraid. He, they told me later they were afraid he was going to nail me, but mm -hmm. he didn't. Uh, he only nipped me uh, one time during the getting to know you dating period where he was on my, where he kept sticking a ball in my face and I pushed him off. Well, he nipped me. I'm like, don't you do that again? He's like, just remember, you know, I can do that. But um, he's, uh, Navy is uh, quite a character. He's a good boy. So what made you decide, you know, with all this thing about, you know, he had a bad reputation. He's a, he's not really a bad reputation, but he's a dog that was there for protection. What made you decide to, you know, I want this dog. This dog is because, because he would have been difficult to place with any other adopter. Uh, it's, it's a risk placing a bike trained dog with a family that doesn't understand the nature of a dog, especially this one. He has insane toy drive. He has insane prey drive. Little kids, bad idea. Other people don't get close. I, I, I pointed out my little, mm -hmm. my little, uh, boot, my little, little boo-boo here. How I got that the first week I had him back here, I went to a park I hadn't been to in a couple of years with my older military working dog, a Labrador named Oreo. And a friend of mine there, his name is Richard. Uh, Richard is hard of hearing, and I didn't know that Richard didn't have his uh, hearing aids in. Richard started waving at me, walking up to him, and I just did, just wait, 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 wait. All the time, the dog is laying flat as a pancake on the ground. And I'm not too worried about it. Richard comes up. I still tell him, I need you to stop. I need you to stop. Next thing I know, he reaches for my shoulder to tap me on the shoulder. The dog springs mm -hmm. up. I turned, bam. And all I could say was, good boy. Mm -hmm. He did exactly what he was trained to do. And Richard said, did that dog bite you? I said, yes, sir, he did. He said, was he trying to bite me? Yes, sir, he was. And now he thinks I'm a hero because I took the dog <laughs> bite from him. And I just feel like an idiot because I didn't read his body language. Now I know that just because Navy's laying down, he's ready to work. work. He's ready to go. So what kind of transition is there for these dogs that, you know, that were trained to work and are trained to work in, in war zones and police dogs and things like that, that when they're transitioning into just a normal home? Basically, basically with a lot of the, uh, the, the working dogs uh, that, are, that are from overseas, they're not house trained. So that's the first step. But that's a very, very easy uh, thing to do. No dog wants to make a mess in his own home. They just they just don't want to do it. And they, I think it literally embarrasses them a little bit when they do it. If a dog can be embarrassed, that would be why. Navy has never had an accident in this house in the, well, be coming up two years in March that he's, uh, that he's been with us. Uh, potty training is, is one thing. Stimulation is the main thing. These dogs have insane toy drive. As long as you provide toys for them to play with, you're not going to have an issue uh, with, with acclimation. Uh, sometimes other members of the family need to be introduced slowly. For instance, uh, my daughter and her boyfriend, uh, he made friends with her very quickly because he's very friendly to women, but he dominated my daughter's boyfriend and he was scared of him. And so I would delight when the boyfriend would come over and Navy would basically just back him up into the corner. And I just said, you have to be assertive with him. But I also tell people when they first meet him, don't look him in the eyes because if you look him in the eyes, that's a threat. I told my vet that she laughed and said, oh, I got this. Next thing she had a dog trying to eat her that thankfully was muzzled. 
And she was laughing after and said, well, you warned me. Well, yeah, I did. So what precautions do you take when you, when you get a dog like that? Uh, first of all, I make very sure of my proximity to other people. I keep him well away from other people. He is always on leash whenever there are any other dogs in the area. Uh, I ask people that have their dogs off the leash to please leash your dog. And believe me, I've gotten horrible pushback. I've had people cuss me out. I've had little dogs run up to him. He ragdolled one of them. Didn't kill the dog, mm -hmm. but he but he rag you know he just shook him. Uh, had a, had another one that 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 tried to bite him. And I had an owner tell me, "Well, you shouldn't take a, a, a patrol dog in the park." I said. You shouldn't be an idiot and have your dog off leash in a, in a park that's not an off leash dog park. So I keep distance. And one thing I keep that's more, that's even more worthwhile than anything. And I don't have one right here, but it's about the size, a little bit bigger than a pill bottle, little portable boat air horn. You've probably seen them. They will break up a fight instantly and they will keep another dog or person away. I, uh, now, any park I go to, I've got that air horn on me. In fact, all of our staff carries it at our ranch in Texas where we have all the dogs in our care. We can talk about that, too, if you want to. But uh, I'll take that horn out. Some dog's coming. Beep. You've never seen a dog turn around and want, run so fast. Plus, it breaks up any aggression. And somebody screamed at me, thought I pepper sprayed their dog. And I'm like, you obviously don't know what a horn sounds like. But, but, but my... Uh, but my days at local parks and high schools are spent with saying, get your dog on a leash. A lot of times, so as a result, I walk him at dark early in the morning. I mean, this dog walks about four miles a day. Wow. So you just, ha you just have to understand the nature of the dog and you keep him away from people. And when I introduce him to other people, he's muzzled. I don't ever do it without a muzzle because his first intent is to protect which is what he was trained to do. A lot yeah, of people and, don't realize that, that some of the, most of the dogs that are aggressive, they're trained to be aggressive. Mm -hmm. This is correct. So let's talk about the ranch that you were just talking about. All right. Mission Canines facility. Uh, we have a, our working canine ranch. It is in Magnolia, Texas, which is just North of Houston on veterans road of all places. Uh, we have about 54 dogs in our care. Uh, we have a uh, kennel manager, a veterinary assistant there, and a staff of about 12 part-timers that, uh, that take care of the dogs. They uh, give them stimulation. They give them playtime. Each dog spends a lot of time out in play yards. Uh, they rotate through the ranch house to where they learn how to live inside and just basically learn how to be a dog again. And while they're there, we test them for things like... Uh, reactions to other dogs because before we can adopt a dog out we have to know if they're small dog aggressive if they're large dog aggressive mm -hmm. if they uh, have a particular dislike for men or women or a problem with kids or occasionally skin color believe it or not be mm -hmm. becomes an issue uh, some dogs that are trained to apprehend uh, people that are, are border jumpers uh, they they have a reaction uh, to skin color which is Unfortunate, but again, uh, that's been their normal targets. So the dogs come to you and they go straight to the ranch. They don't go uh, and, your, no. your, your situation. You adopted straight from Canada, but do most right. dogs go to the ranch and go through training yes. there? Yes. Most dogs do go to the ranch. The reason that I took this dog directly 
was because it was a difficult time. The lockdowns were starting. And I knew that if I didn't go get him personally, uh, I, he wouldn't probably wouldn't get back in time. And he had been in a kennel for six and a half months already. Mm. And it was just too long. And, you know, they go, these dogs go stir crazy when they're confined that long. So let's talk about getting the dog from overseas to the United States. Does a team member from Mission Canine go fly over and then fly back with the dogs? How does that work? With the military dogs, generally not. They're generally, tra they're, uh, we have the kennel masters uh, take them to wherever they need to go. Uh, they'll go as cargo on KLM Airlines or Lufthansa. United used to be uh, a, pr a primary carrier, but they've stopped transporting the large crates. So that means that we can't use them for any any larger dogs. Uh, the uh, the kennel masters get them ready and they ship them with contract dogs. Uh, for instance, uh, from the uh, from the Middle East, from Turkey, uh, we have ten dogs right now that we're trying to get out of Turkey. The reason why that they can't come directly here is that the CDC had implemented a sweeping rabies ban back mid-July, uh, which in all candor, I believe, is a political stunt by the purebred breeders to keep feral dogs in from overseas. Because all of these countries that they ban them from, it's a 100-country ban. These are all the hot countries where all the feral dogs will come from that the soldiers adopt. And because of that, even with validated and current rabies vaccinations and health certificates, they would, they would be refused entry. So what we have to do is we have to go to Turkey. We will fly these dogs as escorts, which means we can take two dogs for the price of one, and we will fly them up to uh, somewhere in Canada. I won't say exactly where, where they will stay for a couple of months, and then they'll be able to come in the United States. So generally, uh, when, when it's a place in the Middle East, we will fly over as a team of like 10 or 12 dogs. Five of us can, can fly over there and get back 10 or 12 dogs cheaper overall than we can just to bring the dogs back uh, from here without our intervention directly. Now, there, I know there has to be a lot of red tapes, like you were just talking about the rabies ban. What other type of red tapes do you have to go through? Because I'm sure you have a lot of steps that you have to go through. It's not just getting on the airplane and going to pick up the dog. It depends on where they're coming from. Uh, Iraq can be kind of a real pain just because you're dealing with a regime that in general doesn't like us. Uh, Kuwait is easy. We just have to have our health certificates and forms. Uh, we've really never run into a problem with it other than it's just we, we've learned how to put everything together that they need the first time. You don't leave anything because you leave something out. You don't have a health certificate. That dog's not getting back. So we make sure we have everything we need from the get-go to get these dogs home. Now, when you actually adopt them out and most of the time you said you give the first choices the first handler then the second handler and third handler what are the handlers like when they're reunited with their dogs oh if you'll search youtube for military dog reunion mission canine uh i have seen it's some of the most joyous things you'll ever see they may not recognize the handler for a second especially if they've been apart for a few years but once they do it's just pure love uh it's the most wonderful thing and you have to be there to experience it. I've, uh, my partners normally do the reunions. Uh, my scope of the organization is to make sure that we have adequate funding to do what we need to do, get new relationships, uh, things, things like that, deal, deal with donor management, 
this and that. But I've had the pleasure of handling the leash to a couple of former handlers, and it's just a wonderful feeling. The dog and the human are equally just uh, just bound and amazed that they've uh, been able to get back together again. It's a wonderful thing. I love that. Now you just mentioned donors and donations. So how can people help Mission K9? Well, Mission K9 needs quite a few things right now. And unfortunately, the nature of a nonprofit organization is to have its hands stuck out. Mm -hmm. But the difference is, how does the nonprofit spend the funds it's given? Does, you know, how much of the money gets wasted? And that's, that's a huge question that everybody needs to ask. The question is, how much of a dollar that I give goes directly to the work? And for Mission Canine Rescue, the answer is 91 cents out of every dollar goes toward our work. I say, well, Bob, what do you do with the other nine cents? Simple. I raise another 91 cents with it. Uh, that's 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 how we that's that's how we fund it. Uh, as I said, we're currently getting uh, dogs home. We need to get dogs home from Turkey. We're still hopeful that we can get some dogs home from Afghanistan. However, we're not going to, uh, unlike other organizations that did ask for money to bring dogs home from Afghanistan and didn't bring any dogs home, it begs the question, why'd they ask for money for something they couldn't do? Is that okay? I don't think that's okay. I think that when you know you can do something, when I know that there's a plane load of dogs coming from Afghanistan, then I'll ask for money. I will never ask for money on a maybe or an if. So there's that. We have to get these dogs home from Turkey. Uh, we have a current, uh, literally, we do we do close to $1.8 million a year in work. And I could easily double our work with double the money. But it's it's, it's a gross pro growth process. More and more people are, are finding out about us, but uh, we we have huge vet bills. We spend, it, it costs us close to uh, $70,000, $80,000 a month to run our operation. And so we're hoping to find more uh, corporate donors, more foundations that, uh, that like what we do, especially someone that would want to leave a legacy uh, for, for their family that we could recognize. As it is, sometimes I'm worried that there's too much month at the end of the money, but our donors are awesome, and somehow we always seem to uh, come out ahead. Now, what would you tell critics that are saying that the dogs aren't worth it? Because honestly, to me, I can see that it, the dogs being worth it, but there are some people that are not dog people. They're like, it's not worth doing $1.8 million to save these dogs. To, to, to those people, I say go jump off a short bridge. Uh, these, dogs, uh, these dogs work selfishly. They train like athletes all their life. They save lives. Uh, they are worthy of our support. Mm -hmm. They go into situations that our police officers, our men and women of the military don't. They're on the front lines. They're after the bad guy. The bad guy gets to them first. And every week I see a story about a canine getting killed. And for those people that don't care about dogs, well, you know, maybe you can, uh, who knows? I don't know. I'm not even going to go there. It's just uh, I, those that would not support uh, a creature that has served selflessly that in many cases has given the majority of the years of their lives in service i have no use for you at all now why do you think that they don't get the respect because they're animals because honestly i respect everything they do because most of the time like you said they're the first ones in i i can tell you it's it's because uh, some some portions of people they don't like dogs period 
some our, our support comes primarily from uh, and I'm just going to call it what it is. It comes from patriots. It comes from people that, that love our country. It comes from people that love uh, animals. Uh, we don't have I, I don't I don't tolerate uh, negative uh, comments against the dogs on our page. Uh, there's plenty of people that will support them. Uh, our group is normally 35 plus um, and they love the military. They love the police. Uh, they support our nation. Uh, they believe in the United States and the American dream of what it can still be if we'll just make it that way. Uh, again, I won't get too political because I'm sure you don't need that and nobody wants to hear my political opinion. So I'm just going to shut up while I'm ahead. Now, I do have a tough question. Has there ever been one dog that you couldn't, was not savable or you tried everything and you just couldn't save? Because I know there has to be those hard situations that you have to make those decisions. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people would, would never admit that. But yes, we've had dogs that that have had to be euthanized because they were serious bite risk. You know, they would attack our, uh, our, our, our kennel helpers. They would attack our kennel master. We try everything we can, or for instance, an advance, you know, we, we get a dog home and we, first thing we do is we take and we get that dog extensive veterinary care. And if we find that dog is eaten alive and riddled with cancer and there's no chance, we're not going to make that dog suffer. And we're not going to put that suffering on an adopter. So we try to do the right thing with love for every dog that comes into our care, whatever that is, whatever the dog needs. And see, most organizations wouldn't answer that. Most of them say, no, you know, they would like sugarcoat it. But I love the fact that you said, unfortunately, there are times where it's, it's a lost cause and you really have to do what's best for the animal as well. Let's let's take, let me let me give you one more example. A lot of uh, entities will identify themselves as no kill shelters. It just simply means they don't do the killing. If they have a dog that after a while is unplaceable, uh, has issues, they will transfer that dog to another facility, which will euthanize so they can keep their name clear. Oh, wow. so, so it's very few and far between. But yes, medical cases that are unsavable. Yes, we will euthanize. It's the most it's the easiest thing to do. It's the best thing to do for the dog, in my opinion. Now, what do you look for when you go to place the dogs if the handlers don't get the dogs? What do you look for as far as? The main thing is uh, most of the dogs are not going to be uh, compatible with a house full of other animals. And unfortunately, we get a ton of people that want to adopt and they've got lots of other dogs. And it creates... Uh, excuse me, it can create uh, some wait time uh, based on that. The main thing we look for is stability in a family. Uh, number one is the ability to take care of any needed veterinary care. The last thing we want is to say, oh, we're sorry, boy, we just can't afford that. And, you know, the dog doesn't get care. And the next thing we hear, the dog has passed away. Uh, senior dog care is not cheap. You know, the dog's got to have a couple maybe three visits a year plus uh, emergency care. Uh, my old Labrador retriever, Oreo, he had a very rare cancer. I spent over $20,000 out of my pocket to provide him two years of quality life. Now, does that mean that you have to have $20,000 to spend on a dog to get one? No, that's not what it means. It just means that you need to be able to take care of your dog. Uh, you need to have the time to spend with the dog. If you're working all day and you're going to leave the dog home, please don't apply to adopt. 
you know, make the dog a part of your family. Our dogs don't live outside. Our dogs aren't service animals. Their work is done. They're not emotional support dogs. Many times they need the emotional support. So those are the kind of things that are uh, taken into consideration when we uh, decide where to place one of our canines. So our time is almost up. So tell, do you have one last little nugget that you want to share with us? Probably that you have never experienced the joy or the intelligence of an animal until you've had the chance to work with one of these dogs. They are absolutely incredible in their perception, their emotion, and what you could and and, and what the, what they can do for you. They will provide you. I don't know, just kind of a restorative feeling. I can be mad at the world and spend a, uh, spend a few minutes with my dog and uh, somehow I just kind of forget what's wrong. So they're, they're great. Uh, they're partners. They're not pets, but they do need lifetime home, love and care. And most of our dogs we get are nine plus. So we don't have a lot of time with them. So the time they have needs to be valuable time. And I do so appreciate you for having me on today. Well, I want to thank you for coming on because like I said, dogs are near and dear to my heart and tell people where they can find Mission Canine on social media. The biggest presence, the biggest presence we have is on Facebook as much as I don't particularly like Facebook these days. It's Mission K9 on Facebook. There we go. See it on the screen. Uh, you can donate there or you can donate at Mission Canine Rescue dot org uh, we have a little presence on twitter not much a little bit on instagram uh, most of our work is done through facebook and the web but if anybody has a question feel free to reach out ask uh, there's no there's no such thing as a stupid question in the working dog world uh, and before you adopt if you have a particular question do read over our adoption section it's on our website anyone can apply and a lot of people say well what's the fee we ask a 300 dollars fee which basically covers the cost of the neuter or the vet care. Nobody's getting wealthy off dog adoptions at Mission Canine. I love that. No one's getting wealthy. And I love the fact that you're also being responsible and you're, if they're not neutered or spayed, that you go ahead and do that. Right. It's a requirement. The, the military requires it and we require it. That is, that is so awesome because it, it cuts down on the pet population in the shelters as well. So that's no yeah, We don't want anybody. We've had a couple of people that have tried to get us to adopt a dog when we found out they wanted to breed it's like oh no no not gonna do it i love that so bob i want to thank you for coming on and sharing about mission k9 now i do want to ask about donations can people donate any amount of money like if they have five dollars to spare would you take five dollars i'll take a dollar nothing is too small you know a lot of people don't give because they think it's not enough mm -hmm. but cumulatively cumulatively it all adds up to a larger volume and it really, really, really helps so much. Five dollars, ten dollars, heck, a dollar's fine. We we don't. It doesn't go to waste. Nobody rides first class. Nobody sits in leather chairs. Nobody stays at five star hotels. Most of the time, we sleep in our transport vehicles on the road. And we're talking two females that are busting their rears eighty hours a week plus, bringing these dogs home. Uh, I pale in comparison to their dedication. I love that. So. Guys, I will put in the show notes everywhere you can find Mission K9 as well as the donate button if you want to donate for them as well. Um, Bob, I want to thank you so much for sharing Mission K9 with us and also for coming on and just sharing your the whole about 
the misconceptions about these service dogs and these dogs that are police dogs, because I think a lot of people think once they're done with their job, they're done with their life, but they're not. They, they have a second chance of life. And I love this that. is true. And thank you again. All right, guys, like I said, I'll put everything in the show notes. Be blessed. And most importantly, remember, keep chatting. See you next time. Bye. Chats from the blog cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode.